Okay. I'm thinking we're back. I'm thinking we're back yet again. Oh yeah, we're back. I think this podcast is going to keep on rolling. It's having another episode. Welcome. Rolling. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to me. Welcome me to you. Welcome you to me. We're all here together. My name is James. My name is Brandon. And I'm Corey. And this is Prod Pod, baby. And we're uh, we're back yet again. Oh, yeah, it is again. good. To, it, it is good to be back, gentlemen. It's been a minute. Yes. Hey, you what's what? up, guys? It's good to be quack. We introduce Corey to oh, the soundboard. No, Get ready. Shouldn't have done oh, that, geez. fellas. It, this is already off the rails. <laughs> That's how we like it. There are no rails. There are no rails no in the prod rails. pod. This is prod pod, baby. We are rail lists. Uh, yep. we're, we're talking Barry Gordy, sometimes known as Larry Snorty. Yeah. Sherry. I think it's 40. I think it's so funny that you guys called uh, Gerard Butler Jerry B. And now yeah. we're doing now we're doing Barry G. <laughs> G. Barry G. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. They're kind of cool. like, uh, yeah, inverse, inverse people cool. somehow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Maybe One they're the polarized. Oh. <laughs> From a polarized dimension. Yes. Yeah, in the polar zone. Uh, but that's we're, not we're this. In the, we're that, in the prod yeah. pod zone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where are yeah. we? Prod Podtonia, uh, where we oh, talk whoa. about music producers. And this is, this is, this is, it. This is so this much. Is, this is like, this is bigger this than is the that big one. too. Uh, we're definitely, <laughs> we're, we're getting into Snary Jordy, obviously, but this is a whole operation here. This is Motown. I, this is bigger than music. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> it really is. Like you, you may think we're being sarc. Brandini over here is being sarcastic, but no. This, oh, no, I, this motherfucker I, uh, cre- fucking serious. Yes, he's serious. He's serious. <laughs> One of my notes. I think the I I I got really drunk a few months ago and and watched the Hitsville documentary oh, on yes. Motown Barry Gordy. And my mm-hmm. last, I just kind of took little notes in my phone and the last thing i put was all caps motown is everything yeah uh-huh. yeah sums it up that's how I, I finished it today somehow i watched the first half and then i watched the second half today and that's that's essentially how i feel right now too is i don't think I've yeah. finished it. it just no, uh, I, it, I watched most of it it puts you in a place of such reverence but also you f- you, you have such a familial connection with these people that you don't know because they themselves created a family of yes. uh, within mm-hmm. themselves and they were able to transfuse that chemistry and love to the people and and uh that those reverberations are being felt all over today and worldwide and uh we're yeah three millennial white dudes that are getting into some motown uh, on Job, our bro. on our podcast, child bro, SoCal surfer dudes, um, SoCal surfer dudes, and this music has affected all of us, even for people that maybe haven't even heard it. Somehow, I mean, if you're yeah, under no. if you're under a rock, I mean, I guess if there's any people under a rock, 
Yeah, come uh, on out from under that rock. Yeah, yeah, but th- that's the kind of scope we're talking about of this influence is that you would have to be living under a rock in order to not know. You know, I'm sure maybe you can. Some people won't be able to put a finger necessarily to it, but this is where it comes from. You know, and this yeah. these this music has been in movies, been in uh, TV shows, has been uh, sampled, has been uh, featured every which way. Um, it, yeah, they're synonymous with, uh, uh, yeah, like a period of time in american history <laughs> like they are yeah. the soundtrack to the history of america you know absolutely yeah. and um yeah this is and it's so this podcast is about uh producers and really we've just previously talked about either like a producer and a music well both have been producer musicians mm-hmm. and this is the first outing of a producer who is um a label owner or the business side he's going he's going another direction instead of going towards the music he's going towards the the whole apparatus the whole system really behind behind the scenes not a not a performer really at all and he he wrote songs Mm -hmm. definitely and he he did the business side and and you know worked the boards and you know i know what i'm talking about and uh he's a business man (laughs) and uh but he, I think he aspired to be like some of the people he produced and created stars of, but I think he, as mm-hmm. a talent mogul, a mogul of, in many ways, knew even from his own personal view of himself that he's like, I could never do what these people are doing, but he found great satisfaction in seeing people's potential and then bringing them to that potential that maybe they didn't even see themselves or uh, see how far they could take it. And uh, something that he has said was something to the effect of you'd be like only 1% of people in the world reach, reach their full potential or something that he, he said in his book. And he, he took a lot of pride in, in, in finding people and, and bringing them to, to stardom and, uh, and putting them through the, the star factory, that being Motown motor motor town. And he, he uh he worked in uh, car factory and saw how all the pieces came together down the line and uh thought he could do the same with uh music and people and culture and make stars out of people and put them down through the factory line of of motown and and pop out the other side and get a star i thought that was cool in the the documentary and kind of in the beginning where it was kind of like he learned that conveyor belt process almost and he applied that to he lived in motor city it was just it was was part of the culture everybody knew how that assembly line that's where the motown Mm -hmm. name came from was motor right motor town and Uh, that uh, yeah that whole process of uh yeah the mission creating a car and yeah i mean he did he had he had every you know maybe like james said maybe he didn't he wasn't going to be the performer, right? But he was a songwriter. He wrote a lot of these songs or at least co-wrote a lot of them, but Mm -hmm. he knew what people's strengths were and he knew how to combine people and um, kind of make it a step-by-step process. And it was almost like foolproof when, (laughs) when he was in his, in his main, you know, prime there with it, it was like, you could depend on if he's behind it, that method's mm-hmm. gonna be used and it's gonna be a hit. Like that's mm-hmm. is easy. And he had you know? he had said that 
as a as a boy growing up that he he always admired his father and how strong he was physically and his ability to mat, take matters into his own hands like one of the things he said an- anecdotally was like killing rats in in the house that he shared with the large family and they all had mul- multiple people on each bed or whatever and there would be rats and his his dad would just come and kill the rats and he's like I can never be a man cuz I can never do something like that that's and that's what a man is someone who is able to physically handle those situations um and then his sister gave him this poem uh by Rudyard Kipling called if and that opened his mind up to thinking that oh this is this is a way to be a respectable respectful person a man um through really your, beautiful poem through your thoughts and your mind rather than your mm-hmm. your your physical physical sense but i'll i'll read just like a little little yeah if you could snippet please. of it just because he he finds it so important in his life and he's mentioned it multiple times in interviews in his book and stuff so i'll just do a, a couple lines here uh it's called if by rudyard kipling if you can keep your head when all about you are losing theirs and blaming blaming it on you if you can trust yourself when all men doubt you, but make allowance for their doubting too, if you can wait and not be tired by waiting or being lied about, don't deal in lies or being hated, don't give way to hating, and yet don't look too good nor talk too wise. Um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful, It's it kind of goes on with the, the if, the if, if you can dream, not make your dreams, ma- not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim. If you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters, imposters just the same. If you can bear to hear the truth you've spoken, twisted by knaves to make a trap for fools. Or watch the things you gave your life to broken and stoop and build them up with worn out tools. Uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful poem. I mean, that's that's about half yeah. already right there. But um, I won't I won't keep going. But that's it's that just- was something that inspired him and, and was a big turnaround from him when he was trying to get into his boxing career as well and and uh that business acumen is is something that was born out of necessity as well as creativity i think he's a very very creative person mm-hmm. for for being you know so having such a business businessman mind oh yeah yeah i mean that poem to me is so much about getting rid of your ego yeah. and how yeah like not giving in to the uh, animalistic desires of wanting you to be right, wanting things to be the, you know, be something that they're, uh, you know, that they're potentially not. And, um, but just wanting the world to be the thing you want and not, and relinquishing that and being able to say that the world can be something else. I can look at a problem as like, I don't need to necessarily be the one that solves it or it's not like, yeah, you're just, you're looking at, whatever the best mm-hmm. the best thing should win right the best the, the what is per, yes the best thing should win the best opinion should win the best uh sound should win and letting and and not needing to like get in the way of that mm. um is yeah so fascinating it's so cool about be like water kind of yeah mm-hmm. yeah it speaks to just being having an open-mindedness and uh patience almost um to even, you know, like it, I, something that it said in the beginning was kind of like, even even if you know, or, you know, if someone takes your words and uses them against you or something, you know, to keep a cool head and, you know, not, yeah, not jump the gun, but sit back, observe and, you know, be cool, man. Yeah. yeah. Man, maintain you and who, who you are and not sway to what people are yeah. telling you and 
Yeah, he's yeah. Men- he he would mention multiple times in the lives in his life where he would regret giving in to something and being very clear about, well, I'm never gonna do that ever again. I'm not going to listen oh, to when someone's trying to press me to to do something different. And and one was even an, an operation that was that was done on his uh, sister, I believe, and she didn't make through make it through the operation, and it was like up to him to make like the the decision whether she was going to do it or not. And how he was being pressured and he wanted to get a second opinion, all this stuff. And he was uh, clear about like, you know, even, even stuff like that. And he, in the way I listened to, I read some of his book and then he did an audio book. I, I listened to the the latter half of him speaking and the guy is a, is a, a natural storyteller. He has a way of looking at the world so romantically. He is like such a romantic, yes. this guy. Yeah. And the way he talks and and you can see his eyes kind of drift off when he's about to tell a story and it's all, he's romanticizing it all in his mind. And he puts all these little touches on and everything, just like a song and is fine, finds a hook to, to, to bring the, the song all together in a nice ending and all that stuff. But, um, he's such a, he's such a romantic and, and it's, it's so funny how complicated some of the things that he has to do are, but all in all, he's just like, man, I just want to make money, get women (laughs) and, and you know have have fun and make music and uh yeah. and then wow. yeah the fam- the fam- the family structure of it all is always something that's fascinating to me and that comes from him growing up in a in a big family i, I believe as well um but <sighs> i think that's that's some of the backstory there's there's another little snippet i used to would talk about selling newspapers and how he figured out that he he went, one day he brought or he oh, he went, he went by himself to sell newspapers in the white neighborhood which no one really ever did. And he like made a killing and sold a bunch of uh, black newspapers in the, in the white area of town. And then he tried again later with his brother and uh, he's like, Oh, well we'll make a bunch of money. And then they didn't that time. And the way that he expressed Mm -hmm. it was one black kid in the white neighborhood is cute, but then two is like, they're taking over is how he said. That's that's such a, that's such a profound realization for a, a child, for a yeah. kid to have. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, profoundly sad, but profound nonetheless. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and 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 profoundly affected his worldview. I'm sure, yep. and uh, absolutely. But then also not in necessarily the negative, spiteful way. He <clears> throughout <throat> his career has and and in interviews has always said that he wanted to find a way to bring everyone together. And it wasn't for just one person or, or another, it's for everybody, the, the music. And yeah. that goes as far as even hiring people and everything, whether white, black, or, 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 or he hired a, a, yeah, a bunch, of women, women. bunch yeah. of women as, mm-hmm. as well. And that right. was something that, uh, yeah, it's just speaks, speaks to, like you're saying, the almost like a democratic nature of, of it all of just whatever, is possible kind of rise yeah. rise to the top and the whole all the quality control meetings and, and everything if if we want to get into that but I, yeah i think we set up the background of him his kind of like early life and everything and then he was he had a hard time uh finding jobs for a little bit there and then he took a loan out uh from his family actually they had they put together mm-hmm. this Fun. Oh, that was so fascinating. Yeah. This the, the it, it's like the family that was like, uh, a bank. yeah, yeah. it's and like so, a bank. Yeah. This family. Then this, oh, it was one of so his sisters cool like that. set it up and was like very like mm-hmm. protective of it naturally. And so if anything bad would happen or something that needed money in the family, they could draw from that. And so he had to go and, and present a business 
proposal to all of them <laughs> to do right. this Motown thing when I believe his sister had already tried to do this other thing called, was it chess records or something like that? And he made it a point, like, I don't want to partner with anybody. I want to do what I want to do because <laughs> he's, yeah. he's so, you know, all these producers that we're going to talk about, all these control freak sort of things. If you're going to be this, this kind of person, you, you're going to have some things of like, I'm going to, you're going to come off as an asshole inevitably at, at some point because you're, you have your way and your vision of what's, what's going to happen. But he got I the, mean, that, he got the loan from his family kinda, and that was the biggest, yeah, that was the, the thing that set him yeah. off. That kind of comes with the territory of being a producer, right? Cause I mean, you, you are literally in charge of fusing all these different elements together. So mm-hmm. you kind of, to be a good producer, you kind of have to be a control freak and you kind of have to, yeah, you have to take input from others, but you kind of also have to give input to others and tell them like, Hey, you're not doing it right. It's got to mm-hmm. sound like this to an extent, you know, but you do kind of have to have that element of like, I know what's best and mm-hmm. I trust my instincts and I'm just going to, you know, make this happen. Mm-hmm. And the only way that could, you could sway me otherwise. And he would put himself in a position to be disagreed with, which I, like you were talking yeah. about the ego, which is absolutely is pretty <laughs> amazing for a person in charge to, I think overall he did have kind of final final say on a lot of things, but to put himself through those quality it's not a perfect person, yeah. quality <laughs> con- quality control meetings, and you know the there's the the story of Cloud Nine, the Temptations record. He he said he was he was the only one against that one because he thought it was a drug record, and they were just mm-hmm. and it was the Temptations were singing about drugs, which you know they shouldn't do. Uh, according to, uh-huh. to Barry Gordy and the temptation. Oh, oh my the God. Temptations. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, they, uh, oh, yeah. ah, there it is. <laughs> hey. Um, but he was, he was against that one, but in the quality control meeting, like he, he said, okay, who doesn't, he was arguing against it. He's like, okay, we'll put it to a vote. Who doesn't think it's a hit. And he was the only person that raised his hand that said he didn't think it was a hit. And everyone else, helped, mm-hmm. everyone else liked it. And sure enough, that went and did really well. Uh, so yeah, and to, just be to be wrong, be, to be be wrong that- and, and hold that as a badge of pride of I was wrong and they were right. And I, and mm-hmm. it was still a hit. And so I make, I make fucking hits, even if I am wrong, baby. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> oh, that whole, love, different, yeah, the meeting. So cool. I loved, uh, his relationship with Smokey Robinson. Oh my God. Thank you. They rent. They reminisced a lot about uh, those early days and man, it was just like, so Such you couldn't look away, like watching it. It was like a <laughs> fascinating thing. Cause you could tell how much love they have for each other. Oh my God. Time. But they were cracking me up with some of the um, stories they were telling and just, uh, you know, they, they, they would, re- one would remember it one way. And, the and then they would be like, bet no, each other about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I it's love so that. fucking funny. I the whole, like, I heard it through no, the yeah. grapevine thing with Marvin Gaye was, and they yes. bet, they bet a hundred dollars on it. And <laughs> yeah. Then yeah. Barry Gordy like called someone and he was right. <laughs> so Smokey pulls out a yeah. lot of cash, gives him a hundred, but right. they're, they're bromance. Oh my God, dude, that it it was, was one of the so most heartwarming things. Man. Like it was. He, he named one of his kids after Smokey mm. in, in some way. And then Smokey named one of his kids after Barry, I believe. And then another kid, Tamla, after their, their first thing they were, their, I think that was the first record company they were trying to work on was, was Tamla. 
um, I forget the origin, the etymology of why it was called Tamla, but um, they, and this, this is another thing. I mean, like Barry, Barry Gordy was a whole eye-opening experience to me. Obvious, obviously this whole process listening to Motown this since uh, our last episode, but fucking Smokey Robinson, man, is like, I, I have a brand, oh, yeah. brand new, newfound respect and love and adoration for, for Smokey Robinson and the, and the miracles. And I feel like that's, that's been something I've been, been jamming almost um, <laughs> more than anything, sure. just out of like being curious <laughs> about something that I didn't really know as much about. Cause I've, yeah, I've known Supremes and, and uh, Marvin Gaye and, and then the other one would be Stevie wonder, but uh, Oh, you know, little Stevie. Oh my little Stevie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can um, we listen to a uh, Smokey Robinson? Yeah. I think that'd song? be a good place to, to start. Um, you know, I was going to, Let's do uh, got a job because uh, Smokey Robinson yeah. like came in with the miracles auditioned. They kind of like turned him down, said, told him that, you know, didn't wouldn't work out. Barry Gordy chased him down the hall and and started asking him yeah, some questions. Yeah. And uh, Smokey Robinson was like, oh, this guy's showing interest. And he's like, oh, what are you have any songs? He pulled out a song, but he had like a hundred songs there. That that and, was rad. I, uh, I really liked that story. Yeah. Yeah. And Barry Gordy said that they, they sat there and worked through all of them. And mm-hmm. Barry Gordy like gave gave him notes on everything. And and what Barry Gordy took away from that about Smokey Robinson was that he was so excited to receive criticism and to receive mm. uh notes on what was wrong and how to improve it and how to make it right. So he was told to go yeah. go home, listen to a bunch of pop records and incorporate the structure in more of that sort of way. Cause you don't really have, you're not really saying anything with, with your, with your songs and the lyrics have to have more of a story and, and, and uh, about, about love or some sort of like cute sort of hook hook to it or something like that. But this is, and he comes back and this, I believe this is the one that he shows to Barry Gordy. The Barry is like, Oh yeah, you, you got it now, baby. I'm just going to keep saying baby. I don't know why. There's a lot of videos of him on tour singing this, right? And he just looked like such a hard-working dude. Smokey? Oh, yeah. yeah. Big time. His, his, him hitting these notes, too. I got a It's, uh, I, I mean, instant, instant classic, and it's been really catchy for me. And uh, when you dig into the lyrics, they're just... It's cute, fun pop, pop lyricism. Um, and Smokey like sang that song to him and got did all the different parts and uh, Barry Schnorty really uh, liked it. And um, obviously, and then the, I mean their relationship. It's, it's is, fun is, to is think is about legendary. The, oh yeah, it's fun either to think about the like what that song is about too because I yeah just what's happening in music right now is just so fascinating because I think a lot of people were doing like Corey you might know better than I do but like um, the blues is really big right now right like blues rhythm, and jazz rhythm and blues. yeah I mean so this is like early 60s mm-hmm. you know rock and roll the last few years you know late 50s was <clears throat> early rock and roll like oh, bill okay. haley and the comets and buddy holly elvis presley and stuff but yeah that's all based on blues rhythm and blues you know mm-hmm. um but this this new wave of you know motown kind of incorporated that but but made it more tuneful 
mm-hmm. I guess. Oh, and, what does that mean? More, well, just more focus on melody and less, oh. focus, less focus on rhythm, maybe, and mm-hmm. more focus on, um, yeah, I would say melody and, and creating a more sonically dense atmosphere as opposed to just, you know, like Chuck Berry just ripping a, you know, two string pentatonic guitar solo, which phenomenal, but mm. that that's a lot different from like the wall of sound that you would hear with like Phil Spector and, you know, Motown. You've got Brian Wilson kind of took that and, mm. and ran with it a few years later. So it's just, I guess, more focused on like um, each each song is more of a production and there's more people involved and there's more going on, you know? And what I mean, I, yeah, I guess melodically, yeah. there's just, there's more of a focus on melodies, melodies <laughs> and vocally, musically, um, you know, this, there was ballads and stuff in, in the fifties too, but they were kind of cookie cutter. Um, but that's just yeah, a big part of Motown too is just the quality of songwriting was so mm. elevated compared to where pop music was if, like at the time it you know yeah they were making the productions really big and you know that was innovative too but the songwriting just took a huge leap forward mm. um, and you're touching on themes like yeah there's still love songs mainly but they're a little bit deeper than that mm-hmm. too. So, wow. Yeah. And it, it's crazy that it all transitioned to this and like not very long. Right. <laughs> I think, yeah. I think, Mo, I think he started it like before 1960, like officially. Um, and I know the Supremes and, and the Marvelettes and stuff was more like early, like 60, 61, 62. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think he, he started the, the label while the heyday of the 50s rock and roll thing was going on. So, I mean, pretty seamless as far as transitioning from that to this, which is that blows my mind, really. And yeah, he always wanted to be hip. And one of the one of the lessons he learned, he started or he opened a record store with his brother and they were committed to selling jazz records and they and Mm -hmm. they were pretty much only sell jazz records and they weren't really getting much business and people would come in and ask for blues and, and other stuff and they wouldn't have it. And the minute they made that transition into, into supplying more of the blues and, and some rhythm and blues sort of stuff, then they started getting more business and that willingness to try, try new things, but also mm-hmm. it is very much like packaged, like in a, in a nice you're saying dense, but yeah, it's, it's the, the it's whole modified. Yeah. And it's it, music, music as a product. Totally. Been, and it's it, almost it's starting to the yeah. minimalized sort of straight to the point right off the bat. And that, that was something he always mm-hmm. wanted. Like if you, if I'm not interested in the first like 10 seconds, the first eight bars or mm-hmm. whatever, then I'm going to move on. Yes. So they, there's a lot of really fucking super recognizable intros that just immediately jump you into the song and, and, and chug you along. So it's, that's a great point. That's totally like a calling card of, of Motown. I think I, I want to say he like 
touched on that or something in the yeah. documentary, right? He yeah. Did. Like yeah, you, you want to essentially want to be yeah. able to whether it's like a vocal hook or a guitar line or something, mm. you you want to capture someone right away. Mm. And so many of those songs do that. I mean, think about like please Mr. Postman. It's I like oh, boom, you're like you're like in it already. The first That's- little like drum hit, you're like, "Oh shit, okay." You know. That's one of the, the, this song right here is one of the greatest songs of all time. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so simple. Like, I don't yeah, know. think about fun, it as it's yeah. so simple, but someone had to write this and, and <laughs> take the time to, to, to uh, think yes. about this and conceive of it. And that's just, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, you're almost amazing. Like, it, it's easy to take this for granted, but it is, it has, yeah. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen just by accident. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not something that yeah. none of this did. I think the one you're looking for, James, it should be the Marvelettes, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I know it wasn't coming up. It's so strange. Title. <laughs> I know it's so strange. Um, and then they he he goes on in that book to talk about how yeah the Beatles make this whole and Brian Epstein made this whole pitch for it to be on their their record and we're kind of shortcutting them a bit um i'm sorry i'm well it's pretty telling if you listen to the beatles one it's like a carbon copy like of what the marvelettes did like they didn't the beatles didn't try to like make it their own like they just basically tried tried to recreate the exact sound of of that record so it was it was fun to see that letter that they got from the Beatles. Was it about oh, it, yeah. it specifically mentioned the Supremes, right? I don't really like that. Like the the Supremes were really great, or whatever. It's, it's like such a simple, straightforward letter. Like we really like this the stuff you're doing. Nice. <laughs> Somebody get the post, man. <laughs> Write up this letter. It's two and a half minutes. It like gets right into it right and in gets it. out while we're getting good. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> that that piano is so fun and it it, it chugs along. Two uh, minutes and thirty threes. Uh, in. Okay, so now just thinking of the shortness of this because and chugging along, like it just makes me think of the environment that the uh, what is it like the funky group? What what was the in-house band? It was three names, and then there was oh, also man, yeah, and the uh, the bass player was a was a big personality personality, right? But they but they talked about how uh, funk brothers the, that the the funk brothers that process of them really just what, what was it like barely scribbling down like barely anything of the song right right they were just like we're just doing essentially the Mm -hmm. what the hook or the chorus or whatever no the melody sorry uh yeah that was something that was kind of more not that wasn't really like a a normal thing just giving people like chord progressions and expecting them to like riff Mm. and 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 figure out something along the way and and uh i think that would clash with with sometimes when they would get into different circles or, or whatever and even barry gordy later on would wanted to get into more doing like standards for Diana Ross and wanted other people to be, to elevate into different areas, er, not elevate, but just go into different areas uh, musically. But this, the, 
band and then also the songwriters. It's, it's amazing to think about how big of an influence every piece was. Um, and even their main songwriters, I'm forgetting their names off, off the top of my head right now. Uh, like when, the, when they left the three guys, yeah. Holland, Dozier, Holland. It's yes. Yes. Two yes. brothers and uh-huh. friend. Oh, them, huge. They were, them mean, being brothers and, and no coming pun up and just, Oh man. I yeah, man. All of that story of just, yeah. Being, uh, Cause it's yeah. Yeah. They're legendary. I mean, they, mm. they wrote, even going back, you know, a little bit to, to the fifties too, like they, they wrote the majority of like the big pop record hits, you know, was just that songwriting team, which is, and, Crazy. Then, you, and then you team up with, with Barry Gordy and Smokey Robinson. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, it was like lightning in a bottle really like that all of those talented people, were alive at the same time and found <laughs> together yeah. and were able to kind of um, be at the right time culturally for all that to happen too. It's like, we're just so lucky that <laughs> that all happened. And also I in think. the same building, there were moments, I forget which recording it might've been the miracles where they, they start, started with a large crowd kind of chanting or, or singing, like kind of doing a call and response. And if you look up the, who was in that room actually doing it, it's just all these amazingly famous musicians and singers that are just happened to be in the other room. Like, Hey, come on over. We're doing this part for right. the song. And they just like all jump in. And I remember. Uh, yeah. 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 I remember hearing or watching that part. Yeah. yeah I feel like it was, and then even like Smokey Robinson was, was that when they were recording what's going on by Marvin Gaye's album? No, was it that or was so. it before I think it was that? earlier. Okay. No, there's multiple, multiple, I think multiple instances that it, where that would happen, right? Because that was the collaborative space that Motown offered. Well, yeah, yeah. But and I'm just talking about the one that's referenced. Yeah, there's like the this opening of the song where movie. he's like kind of calling response. And there's like a crowd of people and it's all these like famous people that just happen to be in, in the other room that they just they just pulled in. Yeah. And even, you know, like the and then the four tops and the temptations had a big rivalry and they were always like competing. And there was this like real innate sense of competition amongst every everybody in a very capitalistic sort of way, mm-hmm. too, within the the quality control yeah. and everybody working it bred uh quality because everything kind of rose to the top of of what people liked and the cutting edge the people who were on the cutting edge were judging peer reviewing other people's stuff on, also on the cutting edge and uh yeah smoky robinson essentially wrote my girl for for the temptations and 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 gave it to them and just yes, just because they yes. were just like right you know because they, they would have they did the song perfectly and uh hearing the in that hitsville documentary the creation of that where he just kind of he does that piano it's just the fifth i think it's just like the yeah boom 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 yep. boom <laughs> it is and then the yeah. as it and then the guitarist they, they were saying it was like a joke riff exactly was like, that's was what like, i wanted he's like he's like yeah. and then he just started like he's like i can just around the room he's like yeah and then he's like it's that'd be crazy if i did that right and like no you're doing that yeah no that's the one that's the one i i was cracking up about that i i remember um that part watching that part and just being like how fucking cool like one of the most iconic you know guitar lead parts in a song and he's just like, oh, I'm just, what if I did this, you know? <laughs> A lot of happy accidents when you create an environment like that. Totally. Oh, this is the other intro I was thinking of. Too. 
It's just like a, a vocal, just kind of like almost acapella or just kind of some stings and then you get into it. It's just, it's... And then... Ah. That's a good song. All the arrangements are just so tasteful, too. It's like <laughs> there's, there's never too much. It's never mm-hmm. too little. It's just everything is just where it should be. It's just such a pleasure to listen, listen to. Yeah, everything kind of shines. It has its moment. It cuts cuts through. Mm-hmm. It's not muddy at all. Yeah, and, and it you, all it all works together to support the song. It, there's no like, ooh, listen to, you know, this song has really cool guitar or something. It's just like, no, listen to this song. Everything just works perfectly together. And surprising breaks sometimes too, and bridges that that mm-hmm. you know, and and even in my girl, it can be a really simple song, but then the orchestral parts yeah kind of blow your mind because it goes into that that string kind of break where it's like yeah like it just goes on the right, soul right. and then it just focuses on that on a in a bit and then it just leads i don't need no <laughs> <one."> <laughs> and it just, it's uh, wonderful it's it's kind of perfect it's there's so many and it's so it's just so fucking cool that it's called Hitsville too. Like I don't know, just just oh. that like strictly the name Hits of the, motherfucker. Like yeah. strictly, that's so fucking badass. I love uh, it too. It was basically just like a house, like yeah. uh-huh. a house, and made it a recording studio. And it's just it's called Hitsville. And that's just <laughs> that's it. That's yeah. so cool. badass. And he would and Moving he was on. even critical about the sound of the space. You'd always you you would say that it uh, was I don't know what. What he was mad about it was like tinny or something like that, or yeah, I remember. He's just he's yeah, never yeah. going to be completely satisfied. Yeah, he, was, he, was always, he was he was a very very much underwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a he's he's an interesting guy, a great great storyteller, and and we we talked about the the miracles, and I mean, do do we want to mention the the Supremes at this time and Diana Ross he's, and oh yeah, know, he's his relationship with her and uh, that was. They it was were both tough for them to huge, yeah. huge in each other's lives and, and, and coming up together and 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 uh their back and forth is is pretty pretty legendary um in, in the music business and uh to work together and also being romantically involved must have must have been something. But what a yeah. what a fucking talent she is. <laughs> I mean, god goddamn. And we've been watching uh some movies of hers, uh Brandini and I for for another podcast of ours called Polarized um and uh she is an amazing performer on screen as well and the lady sings the blues her singing billy holiday like it just blows your mind how much she sounds like her it's 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 amazing um but yeah i mean this the supremes like everybody knows the supremes everyone loves that music who who doesn't like their songs like I, they weren't immediately successful at first and the thing that i like about him as well was he never blamed them when they mm-hmm. weren't successful at the beginning and they had a few, few attempts and no huge hits. Oh, no. 
he and, was championing them so hard like yeah. he was uh-huh. he was pushing them on everyone mm-hmm. because he knew he had a little crush on diana well, oh yeah <laughs> he's, he's like it's no mystery i was obsessed with diana <laughs> yeah um, but also he knew he had the vision of like this is yeah you know it's only a matter of time until they break how That's wonderful a- of a story that is to just see that potential in somebody and now very specifically in and just situation. be like a hundred percent right and validated about it <laughs> she'd be like yeah, yeah i know because the, the supreme the sit at like one of the greatest like, oh they're self- revered yeah. i mean yeah mm-hmm. yeah one of the and and the way he put it was it's not their fault for not being successful it's our fault for not exactly. doing what's right to exactly. promote and make them he success. took it's responsibility yeah because they have the talent that's why we mm-hmm. we picked them so it's 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 only a matter of time. Why aren't why aren't these songs that we're giving them clicking? And then I forget was was their first hit "Baby Love" or was it no. "You Can't Hurry Love"? Where did our love go? I think. Oh, that's what I, it was. I, that's I think what it was I, the one where they're in the street. The music video is like uh-huh. them. I'm still James about this. The yeah. Oh, oh my where they just perfect song. It's perfect. I love how like playful the piano is. It's so understated too. It's like it's not like in your face. It's just like this is this is lovely, you know. <laughs> yeah, and there, I, I don't know. There's just that there's cl- there's claps or snaps or later on uh-huh. con- conga kind of percussion, and I feel like that makes it feel more human and primal. I don't know. <laughs> Down to earth. Yeah. Well, it's okay. It rises so wonderfully. Take a song like Lollipop, right? Mm-hmm, and that's got the the hand claps too. Mm-hmm. But that's so that's like almost a different world than this one. This takes that and True. just like makes it in like going from black and white to color almost. Mm-hmm. Totally, you know. Absolutely. That's, I mean, that's and what then it, they had another probably five or six just smash hits after this <laughs> one that are just also undeniable. I, gotta, I, <laughs> no. I think I, I think I can hunt down that. Oh, yeah. It's just it's it's perfect, perfect music. It is. It never gets old. It's instantly catchy and recognizable. Like I remember as an elementary schooler when I didn't know what music was like these mm-hmm. these songs were in like commercials or something as a kid from the 90s Dude, it was already it was already commodified yeah. in a different way for us right and we heard it in the weird owl songs or or on commercial at least me <laughs> and then you just it's it's just in or your on the, it's or in your on head. the radio you know your parents are you're in the car and it's on the radio yeah or something like that you're for me it was i was at a at a baseball game i remember mm. uh do what diddy by manford man <laughs> would always play it at oh. the Padres games, you know? And I was like, oh, I, you know. Nonsense words for a child. That's the best. Seven years old. And I just knew, knew that song, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think when we got a little older and studied music more and got into music history and stuff is cool to like kind of put all that together. And, oh, I, I know this song, but mm. I didn't know it was them who did it or that there's this group or whatever. Mm. Um, we talked about it a little bit last time with Todd Rundgren. Um, Cause I'm sure you guys both knew I saw the light like as a song growing up probably. Right. But maybe you just recently learned who, who did the song. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, totally. Absolutely. So yeah. 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 I think we, I admitted it. Yeah. It, it like, the, yeah, it like adds color to your life knowing knowing some of that. Yeah, knowing some of that. Making those connections too. It's just it's such a fun thing of like 
and then like i know both of you guys and even me even i knew todd rundgren through my mom but even you know seeing you guys get so into him made me get back into him <laughs> and like there's hard to get out of him and get into so, very Gordy. Yeah. i was like how do i leave well todd? i know right <laughs> yeah Continue, but there sir. is something so cool about just um making that connection for the first time whether it be an artist or an album or a song that gets you there or whatever and then just going down that rabbit hole of like oh that means you know that means i'm unlocking this and this and it's just it's such a fun trip and that's why you know I, you guys have always kind of made fun of me for not for being more focused on the past you know musically but it's just because i i can't get enough of it like there's yeah, so so much to go back and and discover that i just keep getting like hooked yeah. on on another uh you know genre or another era or whatever it it is another artist and it's it's just fun i don't know especially no. making those connections and uh you know the degree of separation isn't that vast between todd rundgren and and barry gordy as well because no. Yeah. Within a lot of Todd Rundgren's albums, he would have, like we said, those those tracks where it was a medley of R and B songs yeah. or, or yeah. soul songs or or Very blue, bluesy stuff. And uh, well, all of his, even not the medley stuff, but even his, mm -hmm. you know, more standard songs are very soul influenced, Definitely. and you know, yeah, very Motown influenced. It's again, it's hard not to be because this is so widespread. Mm -hmm beyond music and it yep. was coming at a time when there was civil strife as well and to see that represented in the music as motown goes on too is i think a, a fascinating experience when you see someone like marvin gay at his beginnings to who he becomes later on and what what kind of music he makes and stevie wonder as well for that matter uh yeah. for me and to your point about going through past music, it helps me contextualize history, American history and what was going on at the time. And so when I see Martin Great Luther point, King yeah. Jr. Mm. visiting Motown and, and praising Barry Gordy for having, for essentially making music of the people of the young American yeah. generation at the, at the time, um, was, was something that helped. Yeah. Helped me understand even more that it's Absolutely. importance and, and, uh, what it means today as, as well. Um, mm. and all the, and the fact that all this stuff was going around the same time and, uh, yeah. And I think that transition into Marvin Gaye going on his, his trip of making what's going on and Stevie wondered doing songs in the key of life and everything. I thought that was just like a, such a cool transition of, of art artistry, yeah. uh, for them to come from such, from a, from a place like Barry Gordy in Motown to foster that talent and have a strong artist development program, uh, to take care of these, <laughs> these people in, in a way, Oh my God. Um, yeah. Gave yeah. them the power to eventually yeah. rebel against Barry in, in their own way. And a lot of them, when they turned 21 would go to their lawyers and want to re figure out mm -hmm. record deals or someone just yeah. walk away. Um, like, uh, um, what's her name? Mary Wells, who did, uh, uh, my, my man, my guy, my, man. my, uh, guy. my oh, my guy. Sorry. <laughs> my, my, my man. My man. <laughs> my, 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 my man. Um, <laughs> uh, my man. 
yeah <laughs> we're back um but yeah she she kind of then just kind of walked walked away but uh listening to the progression of of the, those artists is is really really cool and uh yeah man yeah. they they passed the torch to um yeah like Mar- marvin gay stevie wonder and those guys for sure and I, that was that was interesting hearing about I, my memory's a little foggy because this was the part where I kind of was getting a little too drunk to oh, you continue watching. But, <laughs> um, I remember a, a good amount of time spent on Marvin Gaye uh, when he was making What's Going On and didn't bury, he wasn't down for a lot of it. No, right? like, he, he didn't He's really kind of care a prude, for it. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He thought it was like <laughs> too out there and, and too. Uh, he thought it, it I remember him he didn't saying want to get the politics though, and they kind of held off on yes, releasing exactly. it. Exactly. And I remember political. after the fact he said he was wrong that he yeah. <laughs> you know he he, he just dumb, he was he was scared he was scared to uh right to go be that, that be yeah. that uh what what's the word counter government yeah 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 because yeah. mm-hmm. at the time that was that wasn't really something that many big pop stars were doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Beatles and Dylan and stuff, but that was around that same time. So, that was over, yeah. Absolutely. And his main concern was just not making money. It's like, this uh, is going to impede on, yeah, uh-huh. like the brand, yeah. the Motown, and our ability very, to make the green. He had a very specific thing going there, and he didn't want it to be fucked with, mm-hmm. you know? It's like and, the the newspaper situation. The thing he learned early on in life mm, really wow, influenced. Good, good the, parallel. Yeah, totally. you know what I mean. Yeah, mm-hmm. because he because in his mind it's like I don't want to go you. like I'm I don't trying to rock the I'm, boat because mm-hmm, I'm a black man in like a dominant white culture, and to start doing all of that stuff would then he in his well, mind would be like lose audience, like l- lose mm-hmm. white people essentially from buying his records. Yeah, and, and especially and he, with the civil rights, you know, with with the tumultuous mm-hmm. shit that was just going on in the country over racial race relations, basically at that time, he right. didn't want to put a a huge target on, you know. Motown, which stands for like black excellence, yes. basically. Uh, <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's that's not uh something that he would have wanted to be responsible for, but um I love that he kind of retracted that because that album mm-hmm. really is like a fucking masterpiece. Like, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's not like something that's like a, a personal like it's not favorite of mine per se, but mm-hmm. it is just objectively like objectively fucking right. fantastic <laughs> album. So uh-huh. Uh, that was cool that he kind of like gave his boy his props after it was all said and done, you know. And yeah, uh, he, essentially, what he, said. he essentially said like we shouldn't do that. And then Marvin Gaye told him, yeah, it's, there's he's talking about his brother fighting in Vietnam and and uh, right climate change well, and like, all this stuff. And and yeah, Barry Gordy was just kind of like, well, I can't disagree with any of that. Like he he knows all exactly. those problems and he agrees with all of it, but he's just yeah, he's worried kind of about his bottom line a little bit. You know? That's that's a distinction I wanted to make. He didn't he didn't come out and say, oh, I was wrong because this record sold really well, which it did. But like he was on an artistic level, basically like uh, this guy's breaking new ground. I shouldn't have been so opposed to this or scared of this or what have you. He's like, I, I, yeah, I, I stood in the way of, of a beautiful progression 
happening and I shouldn't have done that. So. Right. Cause like we've talked about the philosophy in, of Motown is really like letting, you know, the best, the cream of the crop, like supporting yeah. the best artists, yeah. supporting the best songs, uh, whoever's going to sell records is, is who we should get behind and do what it mm-hmm. takes to get them there. And, um, yeah, to be, but against. I think that was maybe the first yeah. one where it was like kind of more of an artistic statement than, sure. than mm-hmm. just selling records. I mean, it was both, right. but, right. um, but yeah, that was, that was like a, push the envelope type of moment and uh maybe in the few years before that he had been coasting so hard on all the success that he was having with the girl groups and and the temptations and the miracles and all that and maybe that was maybe the first kind of like ooh curveball you know but yeah and he would say he's like you know he had the strategy of course with with the car factory and everything like that but as he yeah went on in his career he realized that people are not cars and eventually they're gonna 100%. they're gonna try and ex- express their individuality in some way or go their own go their own way, way. Uh, that kind of happened well, with every one of his artists but it's it's amazing yep. to me how young he ha- he found some oh, of I the know. artists i mean namely little stevie who is was a Dude, musical those, prodigy those performances Genius. of him him as a kid uh mind-blowing just oh my god like i i had probably wow. seen similar ones before but i holy shit that really messed me up yeah, yeah like his, you, his first you, single was essentially improvised at, yeah. when he was doing a performance <laughs> and like they had yep. him up there at like 12 years old or something like that and i'll i think i believe it's his finger fingertips fingertips uh, yeah and he just starts doing this call and response with the whole audience and not telling the oh band what he's going to do and I he know. starts soloing on the harmonica and is i guess it was just completely improvised <laughs> it's, i mean it's, that footage uh, that needs to be i'm sure it is in an archive so you know uh, some yeah, like national registry or something but we need to guard that yeah, yeah. we need yeah we need to guard stevie wonder with our lives <laughs> that's how i feel right. oh I think we've done a pretty good job. I think we've done a yeah. He's been, he's well guarded. Yes, he's something else, man. He's he's, he's something else. He, seeing that was uh, and seeing everyone's reverence for him and and how they would react when I was going to say about yeah. Stevie Wonder was everyone would just be on the same page about yeah. he's oh a he's genius. a fucking genius like oh <laughs> yeah, like no yeah. he's like not the, very oh. polarizing <laughs> no, every, no 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 no. Every single person, and I'm yeah, I'm right there like with them. But to, yeah, even even wit- witness that him at that age must have been something. Along with uh, a very young Michael Jackson, um, which is it's just oh, mind blowing yeah. to think about uh, Barry Gordy seeing this talent and and fostering it at such a young age, and and, young and that age. career that blossoms from both of those guys and in, in different yeah. ways, but. Uh, where th- where they where they each go? Yeah, it's it's amazing. I think uh, a factor in that too of the, that connection happening is I felt like uh, Michael's father was very like I think had an idea of what Barry was doing and how mm. he was doing it, and maybe a kind of a uh, understood his uh like why he was successful i don't know like um yeah an admirer maybe of barry gordy because mm-hmm. it seemed like the way that he family business fo- fostered his 
family as a business. So, yeah, it just seems so uh, similar to Barry Gordy's approach to stuff. That's a great point. So it, it would mm-hmm. it would it almost would make sense that he would seek Barry out and be like, "Hey, Barry, look what I did. It's exactly what you do, mm-hmm. but it's with the this whole family. With my family. Yeah, with <laughs> my family. My children. And they had no. <laughs> yeah, they had, they had no choice in the matter. <laughs> no choice in the matter. <laughs> uh, oh, <laughs> yeah, just, but it's just amazing you know. these these prodigy kids that yeah they just they they sing in 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 a way that says they have like multitude of experience as a grown man or something like that and. Yeah, I always think of like walk walk hard and a lot of this stuff. But when he just starts singing the blues, it's a little, oh, like, yeah, yeah. I so, cut my brother in here. <laughs> yeah. uh, That's a thirteen year old boy. Yeah, <laughs> uh, kid died. What a fuck! I I like I I'm highlighting all these all these uh, big names. I feel like we've gone gone through a lot. You know, like I'm, I'm thinking about uh, some some other really fun songs like the Contours. Do you love me? And that's a Barry Gordy written song as well that's just so simple and fun and about trying to woo a girl in, in a way and and uh is it is it that is it do you love me i'm trying to think of the one that gets really you all, you like you think the song's fading out and it's gonna end and then it comes back <laughs> really really quick all of a sudden um ah, fuck i'm maybe right i don't think so okay well anyways uh that's that's a shout simple and fun <laughs> that's no no but that was said too well it kind of goes this is the the great intro as well the vocal kind of just like yeah yeah sounds like a different song almost i can really shake them down they kind of make you kind of perk your ear like wait what yeah yeah you know what oh man you know what that maybe influenced um do you want to know a secret by the beatles where sure. the first part is you'll never know how, how much, much I, I really love you, love you. Yeah. and it sounds like it's going to be like a ballad kind of and then it just becomes this like pop rock song that's that, that makes dude, me think of that i believe um, it. we could do this of the um uh what is it it's the beach boys and the what is it the um ravenettes where it's uh oh, ravenettes Ronettes, yeah, Ronettes. Rock. Where how the be my, be my baby, be my baby, yeah, yeah. yeah. How, well, that was uh, Brian Wilson's like favorite favorite song ever, basically. Mm-hmm. And they the Beach Boys got a ton from the girl those girl groups the the Ronettes the Supremes they were they like loved those those girls so that was a huge part of their like early yeah. sound yeah. Right. I love how that's reincorporating sounds and, and textures within your own art is is so cool to me and repurposing it. And then so modern. And then finding those connections, like yeah, we keep saying you yeah. know with, with with past music and, and seeing even how, how far it may may seem like from a distance, it's there's the connections are there and it, everyone has uh their influences, inspirations. Absolutely. Isn't it cool how like during this era in particular I mean, you can kind of say it for for most eras of pop music, but in this era, everyone was so um, you're like automatically influenced by everything else that's going on because it's so new at this time. So like, yeah, you're going to all be influenced by the same, you know, older R&B or blues artists. But like 
this is all happening concurrently. You're all <laughs> hear, hearing the new, you know, Beach Boys single on the radio, like the whole Beach Boys Beatles thing. Like mm-hmm. they they competed a lot with each other. But just how I just think that's such a cool that like early to mid 60s time was so everyone was influenced by everyone else. And it was almost like an instantaneous thing. Mm. Like every week there was like a new, you know, the new number one song would like one up the next one. And it was, they built this whole like catalog of American music in like, you know, less than a decade pretty much. And it still stands up today. 60 years later. It's pretty, pretty nuts. I think a contributing factor of that is kind of like how Motown was a house or was uh, the environment there was so uh, open door policy and collaborative. And I think that was also the case during the time you're talking about as well, with all like the bands on Laurel Canyon, right? Just like coming over to each other's house and, you know, just jamming on stuff. It was just kind of cruising around those Hollywood Hills and then just making, yeah, really music that defined. Nash and Young, like Mm. Joni Mm. Mitchell, like, yeah, all those that early seventies thing was kind of the same way. Very communal. It was a little bit more. Mm. Uh, yeah. And that kind of Monaco monoculture sort of thing going on mm. where, where everyone kind of is into the same thing and everyone's watching at the Ed Sullivan show. So if the Supremes are going to play, then everyone's going to be talking about it all the, the whole next week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause, and, and yeah, that, that, that makes it exciting to be on the same page as everyone. And everyone kind of knows the, the big hit record and listening to the, to the radio and um, that whole process of getting, getting your shit played. seemed like an interesting. Uh, yeah. That feedback aspect loop too. To, or, yeah. Yeah. This yeah. like say, guy that he worked, that worked from this Italian guy that everyone, yeah. everyone thought was like a t- uh, attached to the mafia, which he wasn't, but he's uh-huh. like, yeah, but it Rubbing gets, up. it gets things done. And when people think I do, <laughs> when I'm a, t- a mafia. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's just, and then, uh, just every every aspect of of the business uh was was handled in some way and also handled in a way that maybe was unorthodox for the industry um because it was coming from people that were looking at it in a, in a new way and going with what what they knew and what what felt right and through that i think they've influenced a lot past that and how a lot of things are are done even today um, but it also is a lot of the stuff is bygone era too, like how how uh, everything is in house and everyone's a, a part of it. It's, things are so much more fractured yeah. now that Very um, true. yeah, you can. But I don't. But I don't know that that's a good thing per se. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's more convenient to make records and stuff now, and it's more. Um, I don't know. I, I I think you could argue either way. Definitely on on that, but. Yeah, it is it is so palpable like the the warmth and the community does kind of come through when you listen to this stuff, mm-hmm. you know. It sounds like people in a room that like each other making music. That aspect for sure, but then mm. you think about how K-pop or something like that is today or even something that, oh my like God, how, how, how Simon Cowell <laughs> or something create he would create boy bands mm. and, and shit and, mm. and yeah. um would just, you know, audition however many and find somebody that yeah, they don't that even, looks they don't good even and sing <laughs> great and danced well right. and had all the, the the package and would represent a certain node or 
uh, archetype in the in you know in the in the band. Oh, you could be the bad, but whatever. Uh, yeah. But yeah, K-pop now. Are you, it's fa- like, are you familiar with K-pop, Corey? I mean, I'm familiar with what it is. I I don't listen to it. I know. Okay. Uh, I know. It's a, black, but it's, you know black pink. it's how very it's much made. like a machine too, right? Yeah. You know? The car. Oh, very much. Yeah. Yeah. What is it like? Is it like AI or what? No, James could speak to it because he's no, more some reality shit. No, but uh, yeah, just talking about the like the, the agency is like gets all of these people from all um the, what do they do they host like america uh, yeah like at malls all throughout like um yeah yeah like the one yeah. direction model basically mm-hmm. like a talent and show the, but yeah then like brings them to uh yeah. it's like a house right i can't remember exactly uh how they structure like the record label but it's all like you're putting everybody into this box and having them like uh so is is it like up with a, their image, their dance, the you know, the records, like all of it is like very, very curated. Mm-hmm. Is it like a monopolized thing where it's just like one homogenized label or, or I think there's like entity? two. I think <laughs> okay. there's like two that are yeah. the big ones that if you're on one of those, then you've like made it as an idol group, they call it. And it's so uh, crazy how they talk about these um you know the these k-pop are idols because they all like the way that it was described to me in one of these documentaries that i watch is like they view them as like the avengers everybody kind of <laughs> yeah. fits their role but oh, everybody kind of kind of like wears the one shirt of being like i'm really into iron man i'm really into uh-huh. thor or whatever and they just like take all of these like somebody's the good dancer right. somebody's the good rapper somebody's the good singer and then it's like varying degrees and all of that so it's like and they just, segmented and, but then yeah. every Absolutely. song ends up being like five songs on top of each other because everybody <laughs> has to have a part that just uh-huh. sounds that yeah sounds and i'm here and i'm the dancer and yeah i'm here i'm the bad boy and i'm and i'm here and i'm, I'm the I'm rapper. A nice guy <laughs> like, yeah that's kind I, of so i i have i have listened to blackpink mm-hmm. and uh bts yeah. uh-huh, sure. and yep. um just people showing them to me and mm-hmm. that's what it see it mm-hmm. seemed like super chaotic because it was like like james just said like they had to make like here's here's the section where the rapper comes out and then here's the set not that you know there's plenty of of us songs that have rapper rapping and singing but it just seemed like oh we made a song to showcase all of our abilities instead mm-hmm. of like we made an organic piece of art it just seemed like a little like oh yep that checks every box that's a song but yeah, but I think there's some of that too into the Motown of it all, right? As a business and as in like producing. I can see, I can see the, the you know analog there. Yeah. Well, they had an etiquette. Yeah. They had an etiquette coach that would take the artists in, mm-hmm. like the Supremes, who were just yeah. young girls, man. I think they were like 17 or something when they first started, like hanging around Motown, um, and on tour, like teach them how to act and behave uh, uh-huh. for television and and dancing and everything. So yeah, they could look, look and, and feel, feel the part. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's, well, that's something I mean, like lifestyle. You're, you're applying from mm-hmm. top to bottom. You're going to Motown, you're changing who you are and, and what you do on a daily basis. And yeah, the K-pop thing reminds me of that, where they're yeah. going to, they're going to create you, create yeah you uh-huh. something new. <laughs> yeah. They're right. Looking like right. very, very core talents, like mm-hmm. in a, this is, 
fundamentally who you are and then just being seeing that potential and plucking them in and being like, okay, we need a little bit of this. We need a little bit of that. And then we just put it into this box and blender and then know there's how something, to. There's uh, something kind of creepy though, to me about like the, the people that, I mean, I guess maybe I'm just assuming, but the people that are, that are behind the K-pop and even the boy band stuff. I mean, they're not really music people. I mean, Barry Gordy was a songwriter. He was a a humble man who loved and cared about art and, and romance and music and yeah, business too. But I think in today's world, it's, it's quite a bit more cynical than that. Like what goes on behind the scenes, maybe. Um, I would argue that. I mean, I mean, we know for a fact, I, I, I'm speculating with the K-pop stuff, but we know for a fact with like, you know, the pop stars of the 90s, where that whether it was groups or artists like Britney Spears or um, or Backstreet Boys or whoever, like they were. Yeah. And say, I mean, they were not treated with care by their handlers at all. They were Uh really exploited to make Mm -hmm. as much money as physically possible. And it wasn't about artistic integrity and it wasn't about, you know, growing these people as artists. It was about how can I just milk them dry while I have the chance to. So. Right. And maybe, you know, they probably did use Motown and Barry Gordy as kind of like a as a a, model for springboard to, Mm -hmm. to begin with. But then maybe, you know, it's it's 30, 35, 40 years later at that point, the world's changed the way people consume music has changed and maybe just they get, they get lost in the shuffle of having to meet certain demands or whatever. If anything, it's even more into the visual element because we have access to their lives, whatever, whatever, even at that time, people magazine or even just fucking music videos. Cause Mm, I I, I mean, at that time, music videos were, were monstrous. I mean, Oh, a hundred percent millennium. That was just a fucking, huge huge album and all the music videos that would play all all the time was just such a part of the 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 songs and as a as a kid it just looks so cool you just like let's play larger than life on the playground because i want to be nick i want to be nick carter in the robot suit or some shit you know yeah yeah. always playing at malls you have a strong association with that song in malls a hundred percent. That's that's that kind of music, you know. That was also a, that was also a, uh, kids something like of that time that is a bygone era. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. Think of, yeah. Just to go back to the speed of it all and how music is just um, yeah. I don't know, changing so quickly, or their musicians are able to put out so much music to truly define a sound with such a like um, yeah, so many different colors to it. Um, yeah, my God, malls don't exist anymore. Uh, they don't make music like they did in Motown. Well, I think the whole the whole teen experience is different now. Mm-hmm. And, yes, right. And really this kind of music that's that's who it's made for. I mean, yeah, adults can appreciate it and even, you know, Motown like adults can and did appreciate it at the time, but I'll just say, you know, my all of our grandparents were probably our age at the time that our age right now when Motown was a thing. I know my grandparents didn't care for that shit because it wasn't mm-hmm. meant for them. You know, that's that's not what they grew up on. But it's, you know, our parents, that's what they grew up on. Mm-hmm. It, it's for young, it's for young people. Like, that's what it's marketed towards, you mm-hmm. know. 
Yeah. And people who are young at heart still appreciate it and connect to it. But really that sentiment. pop music, it's it's made for for maybe not kids, but teenagers. It's made it's for like teenagers. a childlike and innocent young to the, adults to the, mes- yeah. the messaging and the themes are, are, yeah. are like a it's about falling in love. Absolutely. That That's that's mm-hmm. pretty much it. And and most 30 somethings are not going to really connect to songs about falling in love with your girl down at the drive in, you know, like, uh-huh. they've already been there, done that. So, you know, their kids what like a- it. But, yeah. So, so what are they listening to instead? What is the what is a quintessential 30 year old band, Corey? At what, what, at what like time period? People, people <laughs> like, in the 60s or? No, 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 no. Right now. So I'm just uh, off of what you just said. I'm thinking about like, OK, so guided now. by voices, baby. <laughs> <laughs> from, tell us from experience. <laughs> yeah. Oh, 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 oh. Right. I was that duck, to that duck is a really good drummer. The new Hold Steady like record, and that was oh uh, yeah, that's that a very very thirty year olds music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're they're geared more towards middle, you know, Wilco, the National. Place. Yeah, yep. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I maybe things are a little different now because there's so many options yeah. out there. So, like for us growing up, you know, yeah, we had our we had our phase with the the boy bands and the and the pop stuff of the late 90s early 2000s but then mm. you know when we were teenagers maybe we were more into the strokes and you know th- those type of bands that weren't right. necessarily pop but they were kind of in that same wheelhouse but just with a different edge to them but oh, like 100 gecks oh fuck off <laughs> 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 oh boy yeah don't, yeah don't get me don't get me started. oh god i wanted well, to just it's cool go. it's cool to see like yeah. some some other type of machine like where like taylor mm. swift is like an individual artist but mm-hmm. there's almost a machine of, of oh yeah of, what oh yeah do you call them? Swifties, sure. what do you call them i don't know uh yeah, but like yeah. the whole the whole machine of her like canon and her world building within all of her yeah. all the stories and and everything that the tease and she teases certain things and everything like uh, maybe, oh, she, I'm just, maybe I'm just speaking she, to the overall nature of like where things are headed now is, right. is, is that sort of it's based around social media and it's a universe. There's a yeah, Taylor really Swift is. universe. It's pretty cool. Uh, you know? She's like teasing her. Like, <laughs> Hell yeah, her James, next, like, I love that. Yeah. I think it's pretty sweet. I don't know. I, I, love, I love that. Cause that's you. like, so, that's so like the, she's been re-recording her albums. Yeah, her next okay. one that's yeah. coming out, she's teasing that because she's like wearing old outfits that she used to wear, like little, oh, little like wow. yeah. she hasn't worn yeah. it since like so they know that like the the Taylor's version's coming of of the next one. And these Swifties are busting up Ticketmaster. I love it. I love oh, it. Yeah, Go, man. and that's like the K- the, K- the K-pop fan base as well T- is like hard, sucks. hardcore, <laughs> and and so those those hardcore fan bases are out there. It's not as monoculture as everyone's on the same same page, but. They are like loud and proud, really intense fan bases. Yeah. And I think that's, yeah, uh, yeah it's cool interesting itself. that it's it's still still out there somewhere, even if it is contrived and meant for you to react. That that's what they want. Mm-hmm. But you know, oh yeah, Barry Gordy views, named, it, made it fucking Hitsville, man. Like he named yeah. it Hitsville, dude. Yeah, <laughs> like, only yeah. hits, only bangers. There's something, there's something like pretty bombastic about doing that and uh-huh. and and not only doing it but like backing it up the way he did and yeah. and following through 
and delivering hit after hit after hit for decades. It's like that boss that changed the game, man. I mean, yeah. you know, that that changed pop culture, pop music forever. And it, and it permanently, it, yeah. you know, permanently. Yeah. And brought it to, to people all over the world, all, all over the world world. Yeah. Let's hear it up here for, uh, for Blarge. Uh, let's hear it for Barry G. So Barry G from, from Detroit. Fucking yeah. To, to come up like that from, from Detroit and do, do what he did. It's uh worthy an, of an the amazing term, the story. Goat. Yeah, man. Yeah, Dude, absolutely. That guy's still fucking alive. Do you guys know that? He's in his nineties oh, yeah. now. Wow. What a badass. Yeah. He looks great in the documentary. He looked <laughs> yeah, fantastic. He was with it. And yeah, not only looked great, but was He's so songs, sharp and <laughs> like remembering things that Smokey didn't remember. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was oh, so damn. funny at the very end of that documentary where they're all like, yeah, there's some song that we used to always sing at work, but we don't remember. And it was everyone trying to remember it. And then it went cut to Barry and Smokey and they're just like singing every word perfectly and like getting yeah. really into it. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it made me so happy seeing their relationship, seeing how much love they have for each other to create a, a uh, business on music that, that spreads love was, was the idea and, and family and, and those kind of themes, but also having the discipline to come up with a fine product for people. If you're going to do anything at all, might as well. Like, am I going to listen to it? Do I like it? Do they, does, do they like, does my, does my accountant like it as much as my lawyer or whatever? Let's bring everyone into quality control because everybody has an opinion. Everybody has. And I love that. Like, it doesn't matter if you're a musician, if you understand what's going on, does it make you feel something? And exactly to, yeah, to take your ego out and just really boil down to, uh, the, the sake of other people's perspectives and, uh, also maintaining your individuality within that is something that I've learned through learning about him, uh, about myself as well as something that I would like to replicate, you know, throughout this, uh, podcast, learning, learning little snippets from all these, all these, uh, masters yeah. of their craft, you know, and this guy is, is, uh, strung such a wide web of, of his uh, abilities and accomplishments. And it was really fascinating to learn about him. Uh, I'd recommend uh, his book. I, I'm forgetting the name of it right now, but he, uh, the audiobook is narrated by himself and hearing him, I maybe already mentioned that, but hearing him talk about his own life and everything is, is really wonderful. Um, to be loved is the, is the name of it. Uh, the music. What is, what a sappy son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> The music, the magic, he loves the love. memories of Motown yeah. uh, to be loved. He's the lover of love at Barry G. It's yeah, been wonderful G. listening to all of this music. It, it's been wonderful. This whole, yeah. this whole conversation, I think. And I, I feel like we've, we've highlighted some, some of our favorites and you know, every, everyone out there, you know, this is just where there's way too much good stuff and way too much uh, to really get into every nook and yeah. cranny of not only him, but Motown and in, in general, but this was an outpouring of uh, affection for something that has defined our, our, our music, musical lives and interests, I think in a lot of ways, our parents and, uh, okay. and future generations to come. And it was cool to do a deep dive with you, with you guys. Is there, is there anything you feel like we're, we're missing or something you want to do a little final little notes or, or anything about? No, I, was, I mean, 
Okay. Here, go. go ahead. No, no, no. I had nothing. I was saying I had nothing. <laughs> what if I was like, I also have nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, I, I was just. <laughs> All right, and this is from Prom Pod. No, I was I was gonna say yes. Uh, I was gonna say um, fuck. What was I gonna say? Uh, oh yeah, just just to I was just thinking like macro for a second. Like, yeah, so out. we've done we've done three episodes now, and I feel like we've done a good job of picking uh, producers that are quite different in terms of not only their sound but like what they actually do as a producer so that's what i wanted to just kind of wrap up with a little bit was like how how do you guys feel about like the role of a producer being like if you look at diplo todd rundgren and barry gory that's three different personality types three different like the the actual things that they do as a producer is pretty vastly different like diplo and todd mm. rundgren how it's like if you think of it like a venn diagram right like sure barry, barry gordy doesn't really like play music diplo and todd rundgren do so they have that but then style wise but diplo doesn't really i was gonna say not really yeah i mean he pro he programs mm-hmm. things and he you know I, okay maybe I he doesn't play music but i know yeah, what you he, mean yeah, yeah. I, I i guess i was struck by as a producer, Barry Gordy is not quite as hands-on sonically as as Todd Rundgren or Diplo as, as far as his own hands and, and what he's doing with them, if that mm. makes sense. I mean, yeah, I was going to say he he's does. very hands-on in a, a lot knows, of other ways. Yes, yes. And mm. he knows music and he knows how to write a good song, but he doesn't he he's not going, OK, take one. Here I go on this instrument or on the you know he he's not an instrumentalist so and diplo really isn't either but kind of a little bit closer maybe because he does he's in the studio i'm just thinking he's using his hands he's using yeah, his hands yeah. to program and do things um, I, don't know, I feel like barry gordy like is 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 pretty on top of it with some with a lot of that stuff too like I, it's hard for me to really compare and contrast that with i mean He's not producing himself, so there's that. But I know that he would slide into the piano if if need be, and he would spend a lot of time like sure. in, in on the boards, like really fine tuning exactly what the sound was and being really critical about really small things. But yes, that's I, true. I, we I know what that. you mean. Where he's not getting his his hands as dirty as like a Todd Rundgren. Todd Rundgren, like, yeah. is yeah. all up in. Well, nobody in there, nobody's yeah. hands are dirtier than Todd Rundgren if we're talking, <laughs> if we're talking that way. Because I mean, he did he everything. Played every, everything. everything. But um, <laughs> hey, that was him right there on the snare. Uh, anyway, but no, I you're right, James. But I guess I guess Hello, I was just. Hello, it's me. Me. <laughs> I was going to say that bit that before every live show or whatever, they'd be like, this is just Todd singing this with a backing track, but he played all the instruments. In the ba- right. All right, right. All right. <laughs> well, no, he, yeah, he would just announce that like this yeah. is me on every instrument. Um, I do play yeah, music. I, <laughs> Imagine right, DJs James, I mean, that. Yeah. Right. I made all this. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> at, at the beginning of every album, it's just, hi, I'm, I did all hey, everyone, I can play the piano, idea. I can play the drums. I played the guitar a little bit on this one. This is my friend. He he, he did the horn and uh Yeah, here we go, here we go. <laughs> you beat me to it. 
Oh boy. Gotcha. Hell yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just I like the idea now that we're three episodes deep here. Um, I like the idea of kind of having it doesn't have to be like a full segment or anything, but just at the end of each episode, maybe I just like, it. OK, what how has this expanded our definition of what a producer is? Mm-hmm. How how are we thinking of how are we comparing this this one to some of the other ones we've looked into? I think that's kind it's, of it's cool hard. Little... It's going to be hard to beat Barry Gordy as far as being someone oh, that right. was because the term hands on. It's like he really was to me just would would take a, a a person and from top to bottom shape and mold them into what he wanted to be as a as a superstar you're very right and and you're guide right. and guide them along the way from every facet of their of their life it almost seemed like and uh yeah. or maybe maybe and he would expect them to come to meet him halfway of course he's not gonna yeah i feel like there would be when push came to shove he would give people either ultimatums or options or, or he whatever. Would do the about, shoving. He would, yeah, he was doing plenty, plenty of, uh, he was, he was plenty of shoving. Shoving. <laughs> uh, but it's going to be hard to, cause Diplo is very much work for hire. And uh, like, mm-hmm. uh, especially at this point in his career, you know, he did, he did do that album in 2022. That's, that was good. And that was his own solo thing, but he very much in all of those tracks has, a guest star that's going to be the the featured vocalist yeah, or something yeah. like that. And yeah. it is, I guess Diplo is the Motown where it's like, you're buying a Diplo product or, or something like that. Well, I was going to, I was going to say yeah. maybe not that, but like it's Diplo's fascinating in the sense that he did shape music the way that it sounded to a degree, not as much as Barry, but Diplo has been also just jet setting for mm-hmm. seemingly yeah. 30 plus years now going to all these places, living a rock star lifestyle. He, but, so yeah, he'll like go to them. Like I everyone guess, would go to, would come to Barry. Like Barry's yeah, not going right, to go right. out to, to chase someone I, down I guess, necessarily. I guess that was another kind of similarity I found with Diplo and Todd where Barry mm-hmm. is Diplo and Todd are, are front men in a sense of right. like performing. Totally. Absolutely. And yeah, Barry, sure. Barry is every, not. you know, people know who he is. He's definitely a public figure, but he's not the, on stage. The guy, the onstage persona, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what I was kind of trying to tap into. But, um, but yeah, I just, you know, I, I feel like this is our first producer who like is a business is so well. Ra- I mean, Diplo is a, a businessman too, I guess, but it's more he's selling himself mm-hmm. and 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 his collaboration. I, and Barry, you could kind of say that, I guess, but Barry, it's a it's a whole it's a whole business. I mean, it's one stop shop, like top to bottom. So that was, I mean, I guess a comparison, like I was thinking like, um, P Diddy, whatever the fuck his name is now. Right. But that's kind of the, the, the model that he maybe was referring Mm -hmm. to in the nineties and two thousands with bad boy and, you know, he's, he's a mobile. Even he gets in front with the know? mic and everything too. It's just, yeah, it's interesting. He does. It's he interesting. Does, Barry doesn't have any of that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like he never did a solo album or anything as far as I know, but he t- he told this um, cute story about like going to a karaoke bar and getting, and getting oh. drunk and going up and like singing and having a good time and stuff. And that was his, that's yeah. like his, his way of that sounds, that sounds good. letting it out, you know, <laughs> but he would make <laughs> fun of so it. He's like, I did it with my little squeaky voice and stuff. And it's like, it, yeah, it's cute that he knows that he's got, he's got, you can't hit those notes like Smokey oh. can. 
he's so uh maybe his like biggest um talent that he has is being able to evaluate other talent and and yeah. being able to organize how everything kind of goes together and he knows his limitations and his weaknesses mm-hmm. but he also knows what he's good at and he works tirelessly to get better at the things that he's good at and and make other people elevate their game too when he can identify talent in them Definitely. which that takes a very special kind of like leadership mm-hmm. quality I, lo- I love that yeah yeah and i mean to 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 not get your ego involved and i'm sure yeah there were times where he were, did yeah. but mm-hmm. but overall to not be led by your ego and and just to kind of be able to put but he moved the chess pieces in the right way on a scale of that magnitude is fucking like unreal. If you think about it, like, Oh, absolutely. I, I don't know how he pulled that off to some extent. Well, we talk about him creating pop culture, but the culture yeah. within Hitsville and the atmosphere that he created within that space goes, goes such a long way. And, and to, oh, yeah. to be able to hear that through the speaker is, is, amazing to know that there is a commonality between all these different people and he found a way to connect them. That's like, and then not only connect them, but that connect us to them. It's, it's such a, it's a difficult, difficult act. And for him to be, to be so transparent about wanting to make money, but also spread love is, is, uh, was a fun way to learn about somebody where it wasn't, it never yeah. felt cynical to me. Totally. Great way mm. to put it. Yeah. I it sounds a little cliche, but it it almost feels like he was able to like sonically capture the energy of that particular time period. Mm. And that oh, okay. You know, I mean that that's all all good producers or all good mu- musicians oh, can, sure. can do that. Especially but, of the youth of that time too. A hundred percent. And th- and that cer- certain time period that he had to work with was such a unique energy mm-hmm. that I don't think we've really seen. We kind of tapped into this a little bit when we did on the polarize when we talked about fear and loathing and we talked mm-hmm. about the 60s and, and just what that decade meant and what it represented. But um, yeah, I mean, it it was a really special time and I think he if anyone else had been leading the charge at that time, they wouldn't have done as good of a job mm-hmm. at, at everything mm-hmm. as he did. So we're all lucky to, to have him and to have the legacy that he left us with. Thank you so much for joining us here at prod pod. Send us a line at the prod pod at gmail.com. Join us next time for our episode on Swedish producer Max Martin. And also join me and Brandini on our other podcast called Polarize, where we talk about polarizing movies. Uh, We love you so much. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. About to start. I don't know what I'm going to say, but we're going to find out. Yeah, just fail at that. Fail at your time shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) let him have his time it's my time motherfucker
bright shining star. I know. <laughs> Thank you. Get out there and show them what you made. Okay. <laughs> Big Daddy Brandini. Okay, okay, okay. We're all here to support okay, okay. you. We're all here. Okay. We're all here for you. You got a whole family behind you God cheering you on. We love you, James. Okay. Thanks, guys. I was waiting for someone to interrupt me. Okay, okay, okay. Yes. God damn it! <laughs>